Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Welcome to the show, everybody. So glad you're here. So glad you found this podcast. So glad that we can be friends on Spotify. Because one guy with a mic sportscast is going to be a lot of opinion. So, might as well be friends now. Because you might not like me afterwards. So, a lot of huge things are going on in the NFL lately. Um, We're going to talk about that today. Um... We're also going to discuss the NFL in review, all the things that happened this NFL season that that brought us a game that, you know, has basically turned into America's pastime. Sorry, baseball. Uh, we're definitely going to break things down for you, and so let's get, hey, let's get it cracking. Okay, did you with a little did you know did you know that if Joe Burrow wins the Super Bowl next week? That he'll be the third Joe to win a Super Bowl and a college national championship. The other two Joes being Joe Namath and Joe Montana. Just a little did you know for you. So, the biggest thing this week is, A, the Brian Flores lawsuit. So, we'll get the, we'll get to that shortly. And also, how did Adam Schefter screw up the Tom Brady retirement. Like, I understand you're trying to scoop him. I understand you're trying to get it out there before everybody else. I get that. I totally understand that. That's your job. That's what you do. But at the same time, how about you give the guy a chance to get done with the season, have a little bit of time with his family, maybe let him announce it instead of you announcing it. And I understand everybody blew up on Twitter saying two days after Tom Brady retires. Oh yeah, there we go. It, Adam Sheffer had it right all the time, all the time. Like, but why? Like, Tom Brady is is the goat, and that's hard for me to say because as of till uh, today, <laughs> I didn't think of him as the goat. I thought Jerry Rice was the goat because he has. 25% more production than the second place guy for wide receivers. But when you, your guy that you think is the goat says Tom Brady's the goat, then I guess you're going to go with Tom Brady's the goat. So Tom Brady's the goat. All right. He retires 22 years in the season, you know, 22 years in the league. He gets seven Super Bowl wins. Five Super Bowl MVPs, three league MVPs, and the list goes on and on and on. And yet, at 44 years old, he has the best year of his career. He led the league in passing. He led the league in attempts. He led the league in completions. Like, Tom Brady, at 44 years old, did more than what Zach Wilson could do for the Jets. Granted, different personnel. However, Zach Wilson got sacked 50 times. <laughs> so, there's that. 
Okay, like Tom Brady could be in another Super Bowl if he didn't have a wide receiver tear his ACL and another wide receiver just completely walk off the field. I mean, I mean that's that's what we're looking at right now is that Tom Brady could be in another Super Bowl, his eleventh, going against Joe Burrow. Like, that's that's how crazy the season is. Like, cause yeah, granted we had all everybody had Tampa Bay picked to win the Super Bowl, but nobody had the Bengals to be in the Super Bowl. Nobody. We we were all picking the Chiefs. Patty Mahomes and and Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. Those were the favorites. And then for the Bengals to do what they did by in the playoffs by, you know, holding up against the Raiders. Granted, Raiders defense can't stop a nosebleed half the time. And Derek Carr did have four wins in overtime this year like but so they beat the so the Bengals beat the Raiders then you have the Bengals against the Titans where Joe Burrow gets sacked nine times he's on his back more times than a Nevada brothel worker and yet you can't they still win because Ryan Tannehill doesn't know what team to throw it to then you go against the Chiefs who you beat in week 17 Granted, they played some of their backups, but still, you beat them in overtime at home. Now you have to go to Arrowhead, probably one of the toughest venues in all NFL, and you <clears throat> win in overtime, something the Bills couldn't do. But hey, we're not going to talk about that overtime, though, because, you know, the Bengals got to stop. They stopped the Chiefs with the ball, and therefore went down and scored to win the game. And the Bills... Well, it's not fair to Josh Allen because he didn't get a touch of the ball. Like, that just ruined the game because the Chiefs went down and scored a touchdown. Like, then have your defense stop the ball. I mean, when you're the number one ranked passing defense and the number one ranked scoring defense in the league, as the Bills were, then they should have stopped the ball. Enough said. Like, that's all there is to it. There's there's no reason for them to to lose that game. And then, the matter of fact, if, how about you just win the game within the last 13 seconds? But that's the other thing. Patrick Mahomes proved what Dak Prescott couldn't do. Time management. <laughs> Patty Mahomes was able to lead, lead down the field uh, for a game-tying field goal. Dak Prescott decides to run ball, the ball at 14 seconds. And then, the granted, the umpire didn't get up there in time to place the ball down. But don't try to place it down yourself. Find the umpire, toss it to him. That way he touched it. And then you can put it down. It's football one-on-one there, Dak. But I digress. So <clears throat> that's where we're at with the offseason. Uh, between the two-week break between the NF, the championship games and the Super Bowl is Tom Brady's retiring and Brian Flores is filing a lawsuit. Oh, also the Washington football team are now the Washington Commanders. That wasn't on my bingo card for names that they would pick, but hopefully it was on your Washington football team bingo card. Uh, you have, who do you have? Oh yeah, y'all said another thing that took place in the in the last two weeks is you have Damon Arnett signing a futures contract with the Kansas City Chiefs after he'd already been let go of the Raiders by taking Instagram photos with guns and death threats. Oh, but, you know, we're just going to sign that futures contract and just, we'll just have it done in real life now. We're just going to go get arrested for that. Like, what a clown. Like, you, 
you're you're a second round draft pick and you don't know how to act like so who didn't do their homework on that guy like granted i understand you the guys have mental issues and mental problems and mental health is a huge thing and that may be what it is but he's crying out for help so why why wouldn't an organization step up and help him rather than just cut him i guess is my point as well on that he needs to take ownership for his actions but maybe he's screaming for help and we also need to help him out as a society or even as as an nfl team that has the resources to do that help him out i mean the raiders just got socked this year it's surprising they went 10 and 7 they had john gruden's emails from 2018 pop up uh that oh let's also don't forget that before the season started they had executives in the front office already quit. So my hypothesis on this whole situation is that those executives quit because John Gruden was let was able to coach the football team this year. Um, I don't think they'd leave if John is let go. But then I think John might have a valid case. I mean, the NFL, all of a sudden, those are the only things that came out of the Washington investigation was his emails. So, he probably has a case against the NFL. So, the NFL's battling two cases this year now. You have the John Gruden emails where he's suing, suing the league and Brian Flores. Okay, the Brian Flores lawsuit. I mean, the NFL has a problem. Let's be real. The NFL has a huge problem. The NFL has a minority issue with coaches and as executives okay but that's it's been known that's the reason why we have the Rooney rule in place in the first place is to give minorities a chance to earn a job now does that give give teams an incentive to hire a minority person to be your head coach no however What's the difference of hiring a minority coach? I mean, let's take Brian Flores, for example. Oh, you know, he had two, he had back-to-back winning season with the Dolphins. Granted, uh, his eight-game win streak this year was against some of the lowliest teams. However, he still won eight games in a row. And, I mean, but you did lose against Jacksonville in London to give Urban Meyer his first win. So, maybe that's what got him fired. I don't know. But either way, they win eight games in a row, have a chance to make playoffs, get down to playoff crunch time, and they showed up. They showed to be who they are. They couldn't handle the big moments. They couldn't make that playoff push. Whatever. They still ended up nine and eight. All right. Well, on a team that didn't have their wide receivers, they didn't have Devontae Parker. They didn't have Will Fuller for most of the year. Okay. And then they're trying to have a three different running back backfield back there why don't you just give the ball to miles gaskin he's your best player on your team the best player on the team is miles gaskin hands down if Devonte parker is not getting open and wolf Earl can't see the field because he's hurt all the time and basically a waste wasted year for him because a he had a four game suspension to start the season and then plays one game gets hurt comes back two weeks three weeks later gets hurt again and then basically is on and off the field all year long so he never got into rhythm I mean, your biggest target's Mike Jaseski. Uh Tua, how about you find your tight end? Let's go that route, too. Hey, how about you find Miles Gask- Gaskin out of the backfield? Give him the ball. Like, that's that's another thing I don't understand is, 
why don't we give the running backs the ball more, get them out in space and let them run? I mean, they're the perfect example. Another perfect example of that is Indianapolis Colts. Here you have Carson Wentz, and you're going against Jacksonville Week 17 to make the playoffs, and you're letting Carson Wentz throw the ball around instead of giving it to Jonathan Taylor, who leads led the league in rushing yards, led the league in rushing touchdowns, and had the highest per average carry at five and a half yards. And that was on 332 carries that he had, mind you. The next guy with the most carries was Nigel Harris. And he only averaged 3.9 yards a carry. Okay. So, so the Dolphins, so that's just examples of, of not running the football. Like, I understand it's pass happy offenses, but let's run the football. And the Dolphins... Brian Flores has two straight winning seasons. Wasn't supposed to win any games. Wasn't supposed to be competitive, but he was able to do that. The guy proved that he could be a head coach. Was he a good fit with the Dolphins? I don't know. Is anybody a really good fit with the Dolphins? I mean, it seems like everybody's leaving. Nick Saban left. Uh, Cam Cameron left. Like, I mean, the last time the Dolphins really had a head coach was what? Dave Wanstead? <laughs> I mean... He was their last real coach, right? And now before that was Jimmy Johnson. Before that was Don Shula, who was there forever and a day. So it just seems like the Dolphins, every three years, are getting a new head coach anyway. So do you really want that job as a head coach? I mean, that's what we got to look at. Brian Flores' lawsuit, back to that, is basically stating that not enough minorities are getting opportunities to be a head coach. When you have 70% of the players being black, you have 3% of the coaches being black, you have three percent of the coach of the executives that are black. Is that due to perception of of we don't think they're capable of handling those jobs, or since the NFL is such a buddy buddy type system and a good old boy system that we're gonna hire our friends, then that's how we do that as well because you know. I mean, let's be real. White people are going to hire white people that are friends with because that's how it is. So, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a lot of different situations, a lot of topics. And to be honest, Eric Benemy of the Kansas City Chiefs, who Brian Flores points out as a perfect example in his lawsuit of being a playing in the league for nine years, being a one of the better. Colorado running backs. I mean, he was on the same team as Rashawn Salam and Cordell Stewart. So that that's and he was productive for Colorado. And then he went and played nine years in the league. And then he went back and become a finished his degree. Then he became a coach and has worked his ranks way up. And yet he can't find a job. And I don't know. I don't understand that. I mean, we're given. Eric Benemy should have a job in the NFL, in my opinion. He, I don't care. I had one of, one of my friends says the other day, who's a Chiefs fan, he goes, well, the reason why Benemy can't get a job is because he just proved in the AFC Championship game he doesn't run the ball when he needs to. Well, that could be said a lot of things. I mean, they didn't hand, Seattle didn't hand, hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch at the goal line to win the Super Bowl against the Patriots and said they decided to drop back and throw a slant around and it's picked off at the goal line. And 
you know, Butler becomes a, a hero, and then he signs a huge contract with the Titans, and then he is out of the league. So, I mean, let's, let's give him the opportunity. I mean, Brian Flores should be a head coach somewhere. With still having vacancies open, he should have a head coaching job somewhere. I mean, the Saints need a head coach. Put him over there. Also, Byron Lefwich, one of the best offensive coordinators that is in the league. Granted, I mean, he had has used Tom Brady last year's, but his first year was with Jameis Winston. And granted, Jameis Winston went 30 for 30. 30 TDs and 30 INTs, the first time that's ever been done. But he still had Jameis Winston as as quarterback, who then went and be had to become Drew Brees' understudy because they brought in Tom Brady. And But Byron Lefwich has been around. I mean... Jacksonville, give Byron Leffitt the job. That's all you got to do. Like, he's going to probably bring in some guys that have experience to where he needs to do and just work his way up. Matt Nagy is, you know, didn't get his due in the Chicago, but he's a serviceable head coach. Like, there's guys that are getting fired from positions that shouldn't be getting fired from positions. As head coaches, like the bear, you gave Nagy four years, maybe fire the GM first. Okay. But I'm getting a little off topic here. Back to Flores' lawsuit. It's bare bones. It's putting the National Football League on notice that they need to hire more minorities. Maybe they need to relook at the Rooney rule because if you have the Rooney rule, you have to create a rule in order to, to, to interview minorities you're not doing it properly anyways. So, I don't know what's going to come out of this lawsuit. I hope it's it's going to end up being good for one way or another. Um, some of the salacious things in there, though. Stephen Ross, $100,000 for losses. Just came out and blasted that. But, I don't know. Stephen Ross seems kind of shady to me anyways. Uh, Bill Belichick's text. Maybe he got the wrong... Maybe he got the wrong uh, Brian. Maybe he was really trying to just, te- uh, you know, text Dabble and congratulate him and accidentally texted Flores. I don't know how close Bill Belichick is to Brian Dabble, so can't really agree with that. I mean, John Elway can come out and say, oh, I wasn't hung over, but if anybody watched him during that Denver Broncos celebration after winning the Super Bowl, uh... I'm pretty sure the guy was drunk then. I could definitely see him showing up hungover for an interview. I understand his John Elway, and he's like the Broncos godsend from thanks because he didn't want to go play for the Colts. But let's be real. John Elway is not a good executive, and John Elway is definitely could definitely be that guy that shows up to an interview hungover. <laughs> All right, now that we got the hard part out, I think. Now let's have the fun part. Okay. The fun part is. All right, now the fun stuff. Let's talk about some stats that happened this year. Okay, let's get down to the nitty gritty. These are the stats that we're going to look at when we do our fantasy football podcasts throughout the summer we're going to break down each week we're going to do the plan is is to do each individual category so you have quarterbacks running backs wide receivers tight ends your flex options your kicker 
and your defense. I mean, if anybody has a punter they need to know of, we got you covered on this as well, okay? So this is going to be a little bit of a preview of what stats we're going to look at when we decide to do when we have our fantasy football comes out this summer. Uh, so let's start with who led the league in passing yards this year. Well, I believe I already said that in the podcast, and that would be Mr. Tom Brady himself. Fourth time leading the league in passing yards. Oldest player to ever do so. Oldest player to ever score a rushing touchdown this year as well. Uh, his fourth time is only behind Drew Brees, who had seven, and Dan Marino, who had five. So, that's pretty good company for uh, Tom Brady, right? I mean, two of the better, two of the best quarterbacks around. Then, you have Jonathan Taylor, who led the league in rushing attempts with 332. He had 1,871 yards. He had 18 rushing touchdowns. And he had a five and a half yard carry, average per carry. Is he, was he back at Wisconsin this year? I mean, because those are the numbers that you put up against Northwestern. Those are the numbers you put against Indiana. The, those are the numbers you put up Michigan State. Those are the numbers that Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon, and Ron Dane have all shown that Wisconsin football does. So for him to come out here and do that in the NFL as well, just mind-boggling. Even I mean, Nick Chubb did have five and a half yards per carry as well, but he did it on two hundred, I think, seventy carries. Uh, the n- next guy behind Jonathan Taylor in carries was Najee Harris with three hundred nine, but he only had a three point nine yard per carry average. So, Frank Wright, if you're listening to this podcast, my man, those stats right there of Jonathan Taylor are the reasons why you should hand the ball off to Jonathan Taylor. Last game of the year, Week 17, Colts-Jaguars. You're trying to win the game with Carson Wentz as you're throwing the ball. You don't have the playmakers to do it. You had, I mean, Michael Pittman Jr., no knock against you, bro. But you're not separating yourself in the league. And you may be the Colts' number one wide receiver, but you'd be the number three or number four on some other team. I mean, Well, except for the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders could use you. But you're still going to be the third option, though. That's what I'm saying. You're going to be the third option because they're going to go to Renfro and Waller first. So, Zach Pascal, you know, proved himself to be a good serviceful wide receiver. Just not a guy that you can rely on. You have a couple of tight ends, you know, Jack Doyle, that, you know, he could catch the ball underneath. T.Y. Hilton. Not, was injured most of the year, been injured the last few years since his big breakout year a couple of years ago when he had 1,600 yards re- receiving. But you have three running backs in Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hobbs, and Marlon Mack that can always break off at least five yards every time they touch the ball. You get all three of them on the field. Who says you can't do that? There's enough spots on the field to do that. Come on, Frank Wright. You're an offensive genius, bro. Well, I mean, I wouldn't go genius, but you're an offensive guy. You're you're the quarterback who brought back the Bills and the Music City Music City Miracle. You were Jim Kelly's understudy. Like you're smart, man. So stop relying on Carson Wentz. I understand he's your quarter I understand he's the quarterback, but he's a game manager. That's the difference though between your quarterbacks that can go out there and win you games and quarterbacks that can go out there and lose you games. 
the guys that will that you're afraid are going to lose you the game are your game managers. The guys that are going to go out there and win the game for you, those are your quarterbacks that are going to, that you want to have passing the ball around. I mean, <laughs> it's that simple. On the re- receiving end, we have Cooper Cup, who led the league in receptions with 145, targets 191. He had 1,947 yards. He had 16 touchdowns. Probably the second best year ever by a wide receiver. And Devontae Adams was right behind him in all those categories. Uh, so one of the factors that we're going to look at in fantasy football next year, going into next year is catch rate. Okay, catch rate plays a huge. That means you're going to get your targets. That means you're also making the catch. As well, and in, in, in points per reception leagues, the PPR leagues, you really need those receptions to rack up because those are easy points. If you find the right receivers that are going to catch you the ball, then that's who you need to go with. And we're going to have a breakdown of both PPRs and standard leagues because we know there's some guys out there that still play the old school way and we don't want to count receptions. And that's fine. You guys can be stuck in your ways and have your three wide receiver sets and two running backs and a tight end and one quarterback. I mean, I don't know anybody that plays in that kind of league. It seems like a joke to me. Just kidding, guys. I understand that's our league, but... Can we at least get a flex player in there, please? I'd really appreciate it. Anyways, so Hunter Info had an 80.5% catch ratio. That is the most for any wide receiver with more than 100 targets. And I know you're going to say, but he plays on the Raiders, and you're a Raiders homer because that's your team. Yeah, I know. The Raiders are my team. Probably going to hear a lot about the Raiders on this podcast at times. But that's the reference point. I mean, <laughs> I mean, for a league that is a full of parody, the Raiders can't figure out how to parody anybody. So, Derek Carr, your quarterback. Hunter Renfro, your wide receiver. Eight yards per reception. Okay? Derek Carr averaged 6.9 yards per completion. Completion. Okay? Then, Hunter Renfro would also get you two more yards on that and get you your 10 yards for a first down. Hunter Renfro, first first down machine. All right. Here's a stat that really blew me out of the water, though, was the Baltimore Ravens, people say, don't pass the ball. But when you compare the Ravens with the Chiefs, tight end wide receiver duo, they're near identical. Mark Andrews had 153 targets with 107 receptions, and Hollywood Brown had 146 targets for 91 receptions. So, they do catch, They do pass the ball. They don't catch it most of the times, it seems like. But if you compare them to the Chiefs, top two, I mean, they're almost exactly the same. You have the Chiefs with Travis Kelsey at 134 res- targets at 92 receptions, and Hill was 159 at 111. But the difference is, is the yards on which they caught the ball. So this is this is the yardage where the reception happened. I'm not talking about after the reception, okay? So the average reception yard for Mark Andrews is 8.9 yards. Obviously, he's your tight end. You're going across the middle to try to get that first down on third and 10, third and eight, so that's your guy, okay? Marquise Brown, 6.9. Like, I didn't think the Ravens ran slants, but... Apparently, they run slants, and they're a lot shorter than what the Raiders do. 
Then you have, so that's the Ravens side of it. The Chiefs side of it, you have Kelsey at 8.4 yards. So he's not getting down the field near enough, but he's also, he's it, but he's more of a threat to stretch the field than we think of Mark Andrews. So Kelsey's getting double covered a lot more often, getting bracketed by a linebacker or a safety more often than what Andrews is. I bet you that changes because now Andrews has, has had two straight big years on the receiving end for the Ravens. Then you have Hill, who had 7.8 yards at each reception, which is about right because they run bubble screens. They, I mean, they hit him with the big play every now and then, but they run a lot of bubble screens with him. They run a lot of slants with him. Like, the... The Chiefs definitely spread the ball around and throw the ball around a lot. Now, the Ravens could do the same thing because I have, it's going to be an unpopular opinion, but I have as much faith in Lamar Jackson getting 300 yards as I do Patrick Mahomes. But you look at Lamar Jackson, you think more of him as a runner. Now, he is probably the best dual threat quarterback since Randall Cunningham. Yes, Randall Cunningham, not Mike Vick. Randall Cunningham is the is basically the pioneer of this era's dual threat quarterback. Mike Vick ran the ball very very well, had a horrible completion percentage, but he did run the ball very very well. Asked the Minnesota Vikings when he busted off a sixty nine yard TD run, and in the NFC Championship game, even but then don't talk about how. Gary Anderson missed the field goal, which was the first one he missed all year. Sorry, Vikings fans. I have to bring that up. You know, every time I get a little dig at a Vikings fan, I have to. My grandpa was a huge Vikings fan, and I'd always give him crap about that, too. Because he tried making me a Vikings fan, and that really didn't work out too well. So, the Raiders, baby. All right. The best defense. Oh, wait, we forgot one thing. Tight end. So, back to our tight ends. Andrews did lead all tight ends in targets, receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns. So, next year's fantasy football, if you don't have Mark Andrews in the top three, uh, I think I think you're doing something wrong. Because they get him the ball. And they throw the ball to him a lot. So, then you have your best defense in the league. The Buffalo Bills allowed the least amount of points out of anybody in the league. At 289 points. Behind them was the New England Patriots. So, now a little breakdown of what the Bills did on defense is they had 1,014 plays ran against them. So, they weren't on the field that often. I mean, the only team that had less time on the field for their defense was the Bears at 1,009. But the Bears also gave up 400 and some points on the year as well. So... There's that. And then, so the Bills had 30 turnovers. 19 of them were INTs and only allowed 12 passing, passing touchdowns. But they couldn't stop Patrick Mahomes in the last minute and a half or the last 13 seconds or overtime. So were they tired? Were they not tired? Did Patrick Mahomes just one-up them? I don't know, but apparently they need to get better in crunch time. They also need to get better in the middle because they allowed 19 rushing touchdowns this year with 
only the Texans, Jets, Jaguars, and Chargers allowing more. When you're in that company for run defense, you definitely need to get big, bigger in the middle. I mean, they, I know they don't have Kyle Williams anymore, so maybe they need to find a big guy in the draft. Next up, uh, as I said, Bears fans, you know, you're only on the field for 1,009 plays, so that's good. However, your offense couldn't score and your defense couldn't stop anybody. You <laughs> should probably get better at that. Uh, also, the Cowboys led the league in led the league in turnovers created with 34. 26 were INTs, with the league leader being Diggs. But the Cowboys' defense just couldn't show up in crunch time. They couldn't show up when it mattered. They lost big games this year and won the games that they were supposed to win. I mean, I'm guessing they should have probably beaten the Raiders on Thanksgiving, but... That just didn't happen. I mean, Derek Carr just won up Dak Prescott. So, there, I mean, that's always fun to have that. You had, also this year, you had, let's talk about some of the other little things. That's all this. Oh, I do have one more stat for you guys before I move on to some more of the scandals from this NFL season, because that's what we're going to talk about, apparently, is... All you punter fans out there, and I know there's I know there's punter fans out there. I know there's former punters listening to this. I know those guys that like the punter, that like to see that down at the one get jacked up because the guy got it inside the inside the five yard line. Here's here's a little something for you. The Houston Texans punted eighty eight times this year. Had zero block punts. The New England Patriots, Jack Bailey punted 49 times and had three block punts, which led the league. You also had A.J. Cole of the Raiders. Jeez, this is really turning into a Raiders podcast about the NFL review, isn't it? And I apologize, guys. I didn't realize how well the Raiders actually played this year. You know, 10-7, and seven, it's a huge feat for us. So, A.J. Cole averaged 50 yards a punt. But the Raiders' defense couldn't stop a nosebleed half the time because... They allowed, like, 30 points a game, it seemed like. And the coolest stat, I find, is that the league, the longest punt of the year was by Corey Borgerowitz of 82 yards for the Green Bay Packers. So, that was cool. Then, so, we had a couple more scandals. You know, we had the Henry Ruggs deal. That's sad. Um, don't, just a message. If you're going to drink, don't. Don't drive. Get an Uber. Get call of cab. Especially players. The players have cat or have car services that they can call. That's what they should be doing. Sad situation of what happened to there. Um, and it's mistakes like that that cost lives, and should not happen at all. So we also had the Commodores renamed. You know. So, I mean, the, the NFL season was fun, had a lot of drama, had a lot of sad s situations happen, and a lot of things are being brought to light that the league needs to change. Um, I definitely still think, no matter what, the league NFL is going to be strong or, uh, than ever next year. Um, and we're going to have, oh, also one thing I'm going to do is combine breakdowns. 
I'm going to watch the combine for you guys and then give you out my, my report on that as well. And then we'll have a little draft preview, maybe have a little mock draft for y'all. You know, maybe, you know, hey, NFL's a money-making business. I might as well do a podcast about the NFL all the time. So, but before we go, I need to just say that I want you to hit the follow button. If you haven't already, uh, that follow button will let you know when new episodes drop every week. Because that's what we're going to do is we're going to try to release a new episode every week. Um, I want to discuss topics that you guys want to discuss as well as listeners. I feel that if we if I can get some listener interaction, that will also be a huge bonus for this podcast is to get your guys' input on topics you guys want to be talked about that maybe I can do the research on, bring some facts, open your eyes, some things that you have questions on, but you don't have the time to look up. I'm, uh, I'm here. This podcast, I want to be here for the listener. Um, granted it was my dream to start a podcast and it started on a Tuesday morning text conversation and three weeks ago, I mean, it was like legit three weeks ago that I was like, yeah, I'm doing a podcast. That That's where I was at. Knew nothing about it. Didn't know how to start it. Had to watch 30 minute YouTube videos, but here we are. So, um, so my goal is to get a email address up and going, which I know that won't take that long. Um, so that way you guys send your, send your emails, uh, and on the topics that you want to be talked about. And we can do some of that in the future episodes as well. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, hope you stick around for the next two episodes that are right behind this one. I know you will because I'm just full of knowledge. So, and everybody, if you don't stick around for the next two episodes, have a great day. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. The Pigskin Tales Podcast is all about the lesser-known pro football players. Yes, there are stories about the ones we know, like Brad Tarkenton and Harold Red Grange. But have you ever heard of Ernie Nevers? How about Dave Osborne or even Grady Alderman? These men created their own path to the NFL. How did they do it? Listen to the Pigskin Tales podcast. Now streaming on your favorite music platform. Go to pigskintails.com. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.